the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy. Hello, indeed. And welcome. <laughs> welcome. It, does, it feels like a while since we last did one of these, but did we, did we record anything last week? I can't remember. It all blurs together. No. I, no, we no, didn't last we week because you were to, you were at you went a convention. I was at a convention, yes. For for See, five days. We didn't record last week, but I forgot that because I edited it last week. So I definitely heard your voices. <laughs> Time is a flat circle when it comes to uh, the pathcast. We are always recording and never recording. <laughs> it is the year twenty seventeen. We are recording the pathcast. <laughs> it is the year 2027 and we are recording the podcast. Well, that's a nice Mummy the Curse tie-in there. Each time the mummy descends and awakes again, record another episode. Doesn't matter if it's 500 years ago before recording technology was a thing. Could maybe etch <laughs> it on some wood and when running uh, some water over it, they could gently hear us babbling through the cracks in the tree trunk. I, I just imagine you sitting over a, a, a slab of stone with a mallet going... Welcome to the Pathcast. <laughs> Obligatory <laughs> wrestling reference. <laughs> what is wrestling? Right. Uh, yeah, fifteenth-century wrestlers. Uh, what, what would a what would a good fifteenth-century wrestler name be? I guess the scurvy knave would have to be one. It'd have to be something. There you go. Yeah. We'll just pick a pirate name. It's basically a wrestler name. Yeah. Yeah. That's the not Black a name. Prince. These are titles. <laughs> well, I, I don't think Hulk Hogan was christened Hulk Hogan. Well, no, but that's still a name. It's not a title. Uh, the Million the Dollar Boys Man. Title. There you go. There's lot, lots of... That's the thing. Because they're like comic book characters, the they can be everything from Batman to Bruce Wayne. But all that aside, how are you both? I'm I'm doing better now that the very loud uh, truck is not in front of my house anymore. There was the a truck. very loud truck in front of his house. And it was apparently talking to another truck. Yeah. Yes. They were involved in a clandestine romance. In front Ooh. of my house. Yeah. In broad not daylight. That, yeah, not that clandestine. <laughs> well, they thought everybody was at work, Matthew. They're like, nobody's home in this suburban neighborhood at this time of day. Hmm. What kind of fool would be recording a podcast in the middle of the day? <laughs> That's how I always felt. So we used to have problems with uh, the people who mow my next door neighbor's yard because the houses are pretty near each other. And so they'd be mowing the lawn like right when we recorded the path, the uh, podcast. So a couple of times we had to switch days <laughs> that we recorded on based on when the lawnmower was going to be outside my window. Mm-hmm. Very annoying. And then today so, we had truck trouble. Usually they're pretty quiet and I can mute it so you guys hardly ever notice. But today was particularly... Trucky. That's okay. Sometimes Matthew's had like screaming children outside his window. So that, that's true. Um, but I have removed the razor wire, so that has <laughs> ceased. <laughs> truck, truck trouble sounds like the episode an ep- episode title for something like Thomas the Tank Engine. I think. I mean, it probably ep- is. Yeah, episode four, truck trouble. <laughs> I was thinking a, a, a Transformers episode about Optimus Prime. I, I was assuming they were Transformers when you said the trucks were talking to each other. Right. Or GoBots. <laughs> we don't talk about the GoBots. No. Uh-oh, Matthew's brought up GoBots. <laughs> We've got Burnett in this house. Alert. This, is, this is Eddie's bane. <laughs> 
no, I actually don't hate the Cobots nearly as much as some Transformers fans do. Why, why hate something so insignificant? What about the, exactly. the, the Beast Transformer things? What were those called? Oh, Beast Wars? Sure. Of course. They were actually, they're actually pretty good. Um, and before I just derail this entire podcast, um, the, the Beast Wars cartoon was actually surprisingly good, if perhaps dated animation. And the toys were not bad. At the time, they were really hated because they were not trucks and cars and cassette players and you know logical things were watching me <laughs> but um in retrospect actually they're actually quite fondly remembered by a lot of the fandom at this point well that's i good remember to know. Uh, a few years after pokemon was a thing or came out digimon came out and i don't mm-hmm. know whether it was by the same company but that was a similar kind of concept where you had lots of robots that you collected and bat- did battle with um, but I remember the tune. It went, um, what was it? Some, Digimon, digital monsters, Digi- Digimon are the champions. It's true. It was, it was quite aggressive. Yeah, well, that's the difference between Pokemon and Digimon is that Digimons were digital monsters and Pokemons mm. were pocket monsters. But what was it by the same company? Uh, that's I'm checking I don't know if they're actually. both. So Digimon was based on, there was like a Digimon toy, like a Tamagotchi. And that's like where that came from. Um, and Pokemon was based on the video game, obviously as well. So I don't know. I mean, one's one's it, Game Freak and one's Bandai, I think. But I don't know about yeah, the cartoons. It, it turns out um, uh, it's uh, by Toei. I don't know T O E I Animation. Toei, thank you. Um, which I think is a different animation company, but it definitely is a different. Starting point because it looks like they evolved from Tamagotchi. Yeah. Yeah. There were Tamagotchis and there were Digimons. Digimons were digital monsters. Right. Uh, clearly. Sorry, digital, I was 12 uh, in 97 and I had like one of the things in my middle school, at least. I don't know about everybody else um, as far as like listeners. But for a while there, me and my friends, everybody had like just a cluster of Tamagotchis that we would like clip to mm-hmm. our belt loop so we could change, like check on mm-hmm. them. Um, I got in trouble a lot in class because if you forgot to mute it before you went into class, you get in trouble. Um, but I had, you know, some some Tamagotchis. I had some Digimons. I had one of the Star Wars ones. I had the one where it, it was Yoda. And oh, really? Yeah, there was, it was Yoda and he was training you in the Force. That was the whole, like, conceit of it. <laughs> and then I had the Salem one from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Of course. Um, mm. But, like, you know, me and my friends all had, like, six to ten of these on our persons at any given time it was like the toy of the moment yeah i remember them being popular but i was definitely too old to kind of be in that particular zeitgeist and see i was not popular so i was the perfect person for that kind of thing just weird digital Mm. pets it wasn't something that any of the cool kids had it was something that me and all my weird friends that watched sailor moon and next files and stuff had yeah well i was always surprised that they never did pokemon in tamagotchis you know, uh, a limited selection, maybe, of the most popular Pokemon. But you there could... was a virtual Pikachu at one point. Mm. There's actually, but... I think there's some now. That might be like, what I'm thinking of. There's, like, off the success of the Let's Go games and everything, I think there's an Eevee and. It might just be Eevee. Um, but yeah, there's an Eevee Tamagotchi that you could, like, I could literally buy it right now. Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon right now. Well, then hush my mouth. I'm full of shit. Well, uh, there was a real 
a pocket Pikachu pedometer. Oh. At one point, which is kind of like I guess it was Nintendo based. Probably their way around the Tamagotchi. Yeah. They'll brand anything, won't they? But I think that because <laughs> um, because Pokemon was always just a successful like Game Boy game, they just kept it like it's already portable, you know. Right. That is true. Uh, you are supposed to be wandering around playing it with other people, so yeah. I suppose downsizing it further may not. Well, then again, uh, if you could slap it on a lunchbox and sell it in the way of Jurassic Park, why not? Why not make them into Tamagotchis too? True, they probably would have sold, especially like around the time that Pokemon was getting really popular, both in Japan and mm. over here. Like between the game and the TV show and everything else, like they probably could have, and, and you know, the, the, the trading card game. They probably could have done a whole lot with uh, Pokemon Tamagotchis at the time. Oh yeah, it's a way of making the customer, the kid in the, in this idea of mine, feel like they identify with a specific monster. It's one thing to have Pokemon Red in your Game Boy, but if you have a Gyarados Tamagotchi, you're saying this is my Pokemon. You realize that now the person like that has a Gyarados Tamagotchi would have had to buy a Magikarp Tamagotchi, which is like the worst Pokemon. Well, but then it says something about it just keep dying on you. Like it, all it does is flop. It doesn't do anything. It's not interesting. It, what what it tells me is this is a child who likes adversity, who is going to rise to be as the CEO of a major corporation one day. <laughs> what that tells me is that like they said they really wanted a Pokemon Tamagotchi for Christmas, and their grandma went and just bought the one that was on clearance because. All the all the cool kids bought all the Pikachu's and Eevees and Charmanders and Squirtles and what have you, and they were like, "Oh, there's this weird orange fish one." But then you're correct. After you know 400 hours or what have you of gameplay, that kid <laughs> finally becomes up. popular because they now have a Gyarados. <laughs> I uh, it it reminds me of a memory I have not experienced in 25 years, close to that. Good oh God. Yeah, the the idea of the grandmother buying something for the grandchild that they really don't want. I remember once I was with my sister in a in a bookstore around Christmas, and I was looking at choose your own adventure style books or something like that because that was what I really liked. And uh, an old lady came up to us and said, "You're around the age of my grandson. What kind of book should I get him?" Which, you know, is a decent thing, I think, to ask. Yeah, sure. And I remember us being incredibly awkward because adults don't generally go up to children and speak to them if you don't know them. Uh, and we immediately pointed her to the reboot Choose Your Own Adventure books. I don't know if you remember oh, no. reboots. Um, Ian Watson is a big fan I love of it, reboot. I believe. Now, I really didn't like it. And I just wanted to kind of get rid of this old lady. I wasn't being as helpful as I was trying to say, okay, he'd like that, because I felt very uncomfortable being questioned by a stranger. And I remember for the rest of that day feeling sick with guilt. I wonder if that was almost the first time in my life I really felt guilty for, for doing something, because I kept thinking, this boy is going to have a rubbish Christmas because he's not going <laughs> to like it, because I don't like it. And his grandmother's going to give him this book. 
and he's going to just have a dreadful day as if that's the only present he's going to get. And I just kept putting myself in his shoes. And yeah, uh, for some reason, I've just had a flashback, Doctor. Uh, oh, no. what, what, what should I do? I know what we should do. We should go to our pre-recorded interview with Lee Shields. I want, I want, I want to put a positive spin on that, okay? okay? I'm going to posit that she gave him this book and he got really, really into Reboot as a result of this book because the book was so so good and so well written and mm. to this day he remembers fondly that his grandma got him into reboot i was gonna say i don't know how he met ian watson's grandma yeah i was actually but... thinking that i was like i was like <laughs> and that little boy turned out to be ian a.a a. watson <laughs> he's about what well, he's at least five years older than me i think so um i like four was... or five but yeah. Oh, yeah maybe maybe the grandma okay. thought you were quite mature I'll t- I'll take the win. I'll assume it was a good outcome, or at the very least, she kept the receipt so that he could take it back and exchange it for a book he wanted. <laughs> uh, and yes, so today we are interviewing Leith Shields. By we, I mean I. Uh, due to Leith's location in Australia, uh, his time well, his time zone doesn't quite match up to American time zones in terms of uh, interviewing. <laughs> So I recorded an interview with him around 9am today because our schedules kept missing and uh, therefore about 9pm his time. And uh, yeah, we talk a little about uh, Australia, gaming in Australia, Aeon, Werewolf the Forsaken, but I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, I will throw us over to the interview right now. And we are here, both of us Queen's subjects, me, Matthew Dawkins, with Leith Shields. G'day, hello, Matthew. I'm doing very well, thank you, mate. Ah, you couldn't sound (laughs) much more Australian. Can you keep up that tempo of struths and, uh, what is it, shrimps, barbies, and other horrible stereotypes? Oh, look, I just talk this way normally, mate. Uh, this This is just me. Ah, well, in that case, um, good day to you too. I, I say with all the inflection of a southern Englisher. Yes, I believe uh, it's a good day. Good day. Not good day. Good day. Good good day to you, no, sir. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I need, I need to good day. Good day. Be- oh, much better. Well done. Thank good you. Ah, oh, I'm feeling day, at home already. Ah, oh, it's truth. Uh, <laughs> all, all I really have to go on is when I was growing up, and this is going to be lost on our American listeners and probably anyone outside of the UK or Australia, but bear with me, maybe New Zealand, uh, is uh, whenever I got home from school uh, that we had the double bill of American soap operas, American Australian soap operas, uh, during tea time, first it was Home and Away, Mm -hmm. and then it was Neighbours. Ah, yes, Uh, grew up on both of those myself. Yeah, although Neighbours is, I understand, more popular in the UK than it is in Australia. Apparently it was one of these... um, uh, that we Brits appreciate the idea of, I guess, civilized suburban Australian life rather than the coastal hijinks of Alf Stewart and the other <laughs> characters in Home and Away. Preferred going to a nice sandy beach with some golden sand rather than the muddy rocks we seem to see every time an English beach is, is mentioned on the television. Yeah, we don't have the best beaches in the world in the UK. There's some some good ones. Most of them are misleading. They're the kind of beaches where the tide comes in a little too quickly, so just as you're starting to enjoy them, you are stranded on a, a sandbank, 
and quickly sinking. I used to uh, live in a place called Portsmouth where there was a big sort of mud flat out on the in the harbour and it was quicker to get from one end of the harbour to the other by crossing the mud flats and <laughs> obviously very dangerous as well. And there was a, uh, a spate of drunken people who decided come night time they'd cross the harbour across the mud flats they'd get sucked into the mud and the coast guard would have to pull them out uh, dislocating their hips and all kinds of horrible things oh. so yeah i stay away from bad. coastlines yeah <laughs> uh, it, it is speaking of australia <laughs> how how is the uh, the continent on fire doing I, it is very much on fire. Thank you for asking. You know, it, uh, it it's already warm enough down here in, in summer, but uh, we've got a little bit of extra heat this year. Um, it feels like uh, living in Canberra, as I do, the nation's capital, uh, it feels like we are surrounded by fire at the moment. Um, you know, it's only to the north, south, east and west of us. So uh, there's a couple of extra areas we could possibly escape to if needed, I hope. Yeah, it's all looked very, uh, all joking aside, it's looked pretty damn terrifying, I think, from the outside looking in. I can't ma imagine it's much fun being there. Um, uh, it has been relatively constant smoke, uh, haze throughout in the atmosphere for weeks. We've had a few nice days and now the smoke's come in. And look, I can't, it, it sounds like I'm complaining and of course it would be lovely to be breathing fresh air, but we have to just be appreciative of the, you know, volunteer firefighters and professional firefighters who are working around the clock uh, trying to keep everyone else safe. So, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it feels slightly as if I am complaining unnecessarily to be actually safe and sound whilst they're out there doing the real hard work. No, no, I think uh, you're, you are within your rights uh, to, to express your, your sadness and annoyance at, uh, at the current environment, the Silent Hill-like atmosphere you've described it as to me before. <laughs> yes. Um, mm, well, I do hope Australia gets better soon. Uh, that's a rather vacuous platitude, but uh, <laughs> there are plenty of charities people can donate to. Definitely, and, uh, definitely. And if anyone feels like uh, donating, any uh, any charity is wonderful, but uh, particularly the rural fire services, which have been working so hard and have obviously used up so much equipment over this Christmas New Year period. Yeah. Well, on to gamier stuff. Yes, the things you uh, wanted so to talk about. No, well, the thing is, the, these pathcasts are always very uh, casual, low-key. We, we, we talk about all kinds of things. So whether it's uh, yeah, countries ablaze or <laughs> games that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, I happened to be flicking through the Slay Industries contract directory while I was in a meeting the other day. Uh, I'm not even joking. I was, uh, I was in a meeting. And it wasn't an Onyx Path meeting, uh, I should hasten to add. But I thought, oh, I've got lots of books beside me. I'm going to have a look because I'm not talking. I'm not going to be talking for the next God knows how long. And who did I see in the credits but Leith Shields? So that must be one of your first credits. It was. Uh, it was definitely one of my first credits. Um, and I I love Slay Industries. I was a big fan of it um, ever since the first edition came out, and there's the second edition coming soon. Um, and I'd written a lot of fan material for that system, uh, played it to death with my various uh, gaming groups. Um, but truth be told, the contract directory 
I have literally about six words in it. And I think the developer at the time, Tim Didopoulos, just decided <laughs> to uh, be kind to me and give me a, a writing credit for those, those six words. It was like one small idea that I threw out there and he went, oh, I'll put that in. And here, have a credit. <laughs> ah, well, from small acorns and all that. Exactly uh, right. And did you back the second edition, or would the uh, postage and like be far too punishing to get down to Australia? Oh, look, on the proviso that you don't tell my wife, I I was a sucker. I did I did back it, uh, even though the postage is crippling. Um, but how could I not? It was it was a formative game as I was uh, growing up and developing my my GM and player skills. Uh, so I I couldn't say no. No, me too. Uh, I've always had a great deal of love for Slay Industries. It was one of the first, I guess, horror and sci-fi games I played. And uh, I don't know, uh, getting into the weeds now a bit, but were you ever a member of the Team 8 forums, which was like the fan, uh, where everyone was making fan supplements for it and content like that, or was that a bit after your time? You were No, at? I definitely was a member of those forums. Aha! Uh, well, I was as well, so we probably crossed paths before we knew it. We probably did, um, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know what moniker you're going for. We could probably talk about that off offline sometime. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll yeah. spend an hour talking about Slay Industries and nothing about Onyx Path. Oh, yeah, Onyx Path, remember them. Uh, but no, I still see um, Max and a bunch of the others from, and John Dodd, of course, uh, at the UK convention scene. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, one day, one day you'll make it over here. And, uh... I am very jealous uh, every time uh, the UK convention and the US convention scene kicks off, and all the social media posts, the photos, people having a wonderful time. And I think, yes, if only I didn't have to travel literally halfway around the world, uh, I would be there. Oh yeah, we we Europeans, uh, people like myself, John Burke, uh, Chris, Alan, uh, Steffi, Clara, often bemoan the fact that all the biggest conventions are in America, but that's uh, the travel there for us is nothing compared to the travel that you would have to take to even get to a reasonably sized con. I assume Australia doesn't have, uh, well, I'm assuming that Australia doesn't have any major gaming conventions. We don't have huge ones. Uh, there are some larger conventions. When I say larger, um, I do need to calibrate that larger for Australia. Uh, probably nowhere near the scale that we're talking um, Europe and America. Uh, but in Sydney and Melbourne, we do tend to have some some larger conventions. Uh, and actually, just literally this last weekend, we had the local carer convention. So I popped along there, uh, caught up with a few mates who were talking games and playing a few games, tried to find a few Onyx Path books. Uh, unfortunately, I found um, no, no actual... Um, uh, Trinity or, or uh, Scion, I found uh, Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition, uh, so, you know, with our, our Paradox White Wolf partners, but um, not actually Onyx Path itself, unfortunately. Damn it all. Uh, I was uh, at a convention last week and did find uh, Scion and uh, Changing the Lost on sale uh, from Leisure Games there. That was a contingency in Norfolk, so, uh, so there is hope, but uh, it's there a good is. point there is a good point to listeners uh, that if you want to see our books in stores, they are available, uh, a lot of them, especially the Onyx Path-owned material, like, as Leith says, uh, Trinity, 
and Scion, uh, eventually, well, Dystopia Rising, they, oh, Dystopia Rising isn't ours, of course, but they came from beneath the sea, Scarred yeah. Lands, too, for Dungeons & Dragons, um, that, it, those are all books that can be ordered by gaming stores and bookstores, so if you are connected, or if you run a store, by all means, order a copy and sell it, uh, they are eminently purchasable and if you're not a game store kind of person i think you can even buy them in traditionally printed format from amazon so uh, you can feed the bezos beast if that's your will definitely but i do encourage uh, anyone who wants to get those books to to get on board because uh you know obviously i am biased but um let, let me not spruik my own material but your material matthew uh they came from beneath the sea i got the backer pdf recently and it looks fantastic ah oh, thank you very much i think a lot of the credit there goes to mike cheney uh who i often give shout outs to but i never feel gets enough praise our art director because his skills with layouts and art assets are fantastic and you know a lot of the time the people who get the main credit are the developer and then mm. the writers and then people will start looking at things like editors layout artists um but yeah, Mike did a fantastic job with they came from. I'm very happy with it. But thank you for your kind words. You're welcome. And yes, I would uh, I would echo your praise for Mike. I have recently uh, done my first book for the Storypath Nexus. So therefore, you know, laying out myself, not just doing the writing. And I I have a newfound respect. I already already respected what Mike does. But wow, it is not easy. Well, They Came From Beneath the Sea is available to pre-order for a very short time only on Backer Kit before I incorporate the various errata and we get it out to, uh, well, to regular sales. Uh, well, printed, I should say, and sent out to backers. But you mentioned the Story Path Nexus. What have you been creating for that community content program? My first book was a for Trinity Continuum Aeon. Um, I have made a book detailing going into a little more detail on the human space fleet operating both in the soul system and interstellar space so one of the things i love about the trinity continuum and aeon in particular is just the breadth of the setting that we have so many different sci-fi settings that you could play in that setting and the system for constructing spaceships is so flexible but i know sometimes people want to be able to just pick up something and drop it into their game without having to sit down and work out some of the, the maths on it. So I thought, what the heck, let's let's throw together uh, a supplement with a few more rules, uh, expand how they can create their ships and give them a whole range to use for their games. Well, and you've worked on, on Aeon, on the Aeon expansion, on the Aeon ready-made characters. So that's quite a list of Aeon credits. Well, that's the three that are already out. I've also worked on Distant Worlds. I'm working on uh, Under Alien Suns. And I am going to be developing, in fact, it's in first drafts now, uh, Mission Statements, which is the Trinity Continuum Aeon organizations book. Ooh, lovely. Well, okay, so let's start from the bottom. Uh, for any <laughs> listeners who don't know, um, what is Aeon? Uh, Trinity Continuum Aeon. I like to throw the whole uh, title in there so that people understand it's part of the continuum. So Aeon is the far future sci-fi uh, setting for the Trinity Continuum. So we're looking at a, a universe where uh, in around the 22nd century, um, 
scions have uh, appeared into uh, humanity. Uh, benefactors have uh, helped eight people who are called the proxies uh, and given them uh, technology which helps them to activate latents with latent psionic power. And these people are helping humanity. Um, it's a, an optimistic setting, which I love. The first edition of um, this setting uh, was a little bit um, typical White Wolf, if I can say it that way, that it was kind mm -hmm. of surface optimism, but with conspiracies as soon as you scratch that surface. Um, but the second edition, not that we call it second edition, but it is genuinely optimistic. It is humans coming together, united, trying to take humanity to the stars, trying to forge our future after they've rebuilt from uh, the Aberrant War, which is the subject, oh, oh, sorry, let me take a step back, the Aberrant War, which happens after uh, the second book in the continuum, which is the Trinity Continuum Aberrant, uh, where Nova's superpowered people uh, come into their own and start uh, exploring their powers, and eventually um, they run a bit of muck as the power takes hold. So our writers are often... Uh fairly or not, sometimes classified as setting writers or system writers. Are you one, either, or both? I would like to say I am both. Uh, I love writing setting, but uh, as soon as I see systems, something in my brain clicks and I feel the need to just uh, tinker with them and see what I can make them do. Um, and for Aeon, I was particularly lucky. Um, I wrote a bunch of setting material for that book and then uh, kept harassing John Sneed, the developer, to say, hey, is there anything else you would like me to do? Um, and <laughs> over and over, uh, probably to the point where he was just wishing I would go away. Uh, but then luckily for me, uh, the writer who was um, slated to write the Psy Powers rules uh, dropped out and John said, well, here you go, you, you've been bugging me enough, would you like to give this a go? <laughs> so I had the opportunity to actually sit down and work my way through the first edition uh, across all the books where all the powers appeared and figure out you know, what were the key themes coming out of each one, how can we uh, improve them um, and, and make them more playable, more fun uh, and more optimistic for uh, the Trinity Continuum Aeon setting. And I would like to say overall the, the feedback has been pretty positive from the fans well that's always nice it's, uh, i know that well we, of course we've got the onyx path forum we got the discord and uh, i don't mind saying that the popularity of the trinity games uh, the trinity continuum games that we've released so far has surprised me not because i ever assumed that the trinity continuum was going to be unpopular but I have a thing with games with titles. All games have titles, but I very much always held the opinion that a title needs to tell you exactly what the game is about, ideally. And I always found the idea of a game called Trinity Continuum Aeon or Trinity Continuum, you know, core rulebook, somewhat nebulous because mm -hmm. you'd have to crack open the book or at least read the back cover text to actually know what the Trinity Continuum even is. But I'm in a location in the world where there's several gaming clubs around me and there's a lot of Trinity being played, a lot of Aeon being played. And some people are just using some people are just using the core rules. And that's interesting to me because 
Uh, it's a similar thing with, I guess, way back when New World of Darkness was a thing, pre-Chronicles of Darkness, mm-hmm. and people were just using the Blue Book and not using any of the splats. Uh, I remember that surprising me then as well. I just thought, oh, why aren't you all playing vampires? No, we actually want to play slightly above average humans in an interesting setting. So, yeah, yeah I, it, I, it certainly... Sorry, oh, sorry, you carry on. I was going to say, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, um, and and in many in many senses, I agree. You know, I, I gravitate to uh, to the Aeon setting because there is so much in there, and then I'll gravitate to the Aberrant setting because there's so much slightly, you know, they're not too distant future, you know, twenty minutes into the future, uh, so much there. But reading the Trinity Continuum core, I absolutely get why people would want to play that. Um, I'm a big fan of. Uh, the Bourne series of movies. I'm a big fan of the John Wick series of movies. You know that the the, the Mission Impossible. So you're looking at those larger than life action heroes. You're looking at the world as we know it, but just you know slightly different, slightly more action oriented. And that's absolutely mm. what the Trinity Core gives us. You don't need to detail the world too much, in my opinion, because we all live in the world. We see what the world is, and we can look at it and go, "Well, I've seen." these movies i know how i can just twist the world slightly to just have a uh, a society of, of assassins just beneath the surface or have a government sponsored agency who is out there to you know rescue people perform the impossible missions infiltrate whatever i i think it's amazing uh, and that is exactly what one of these groups is doing it's a, it's a group i used to play with and i occasionally check in with for play testing uh, I'm again. I'm very lucky that when I need to play test games, I've got on hand a whole bunch of storytellers, story guides, GMs, etc., who will ha- quite happily work for pizza and free <laughs> PDFs. And it's always valuable to get a new pair of hands to play test rules rather than the person who's written them, because you know we know how they're supposed to work. Yeah. But it's how it's how it works in the hands of someone who's brand new to them. And uh, one of these guys who I've known as a role player for, Christ, over 15 years, I suppose, uh, just is completely in love with the Trinity Continuum and is running a 007-style game. Good on him. But, but all the characters are alphabet men uh, rather than double uh, <laughs> O agents. Uh, so it's a you know it's a nice pastiche. It's a uh, what would you say? A respectful nod, not a rip off of James Bond. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so what is it that appeals to you? I guess if if uh, anything beyond that, uh, what's often called hope punk of Aeon. Uh, what is it that appeals to you so much about that setting and? The story path system. Oh, about the setting, um, moving beyond hope, I think some people view it as a little bit too broad, but I love the kitchen sink aspects uh, that you can pick an area of the setting and then play whatever you feel like playing. If you want uh, cyberpunk, ghost in the shell type cyberpunk, uh, or, or sorry, ghost in the shell type anime, you've got Nippon, you've got the, the arcologies there, you've got that traditional kind of anime worlds that you can play in. If you want grittier cyberpunk, you've got the FSA, the Federated States of America, where everything's gone a bit dystopian. Uh, if you want Mad Max type um, post-apocalyptic, you've got Europe where uh, giant space station 
uh, crashed with the help of aberrants into the into Paris and obliterated everything. And now people are trying to pick up the pieces. So there is just so much you can do. Um, any game you want to play, if you want to emulate Star Trek, you've got starships that traveling around the the galaxy, exploring, finding new homes for humanity, solving problems, meeting alien races, occasionally fighting them, occasionally helping them. But we have everything you could want in there. Uh, so as I said, some people think it's a bit too broad because they're like, oh, what do I actually do? But concentrate on the the style of play you want and set your set, set your game there. And what about uh, the story path system? How have you been getting on with that? Uh, I love its flexibility as well. I think uh, the folks who put it together, like it has its roots very firmly in the traditional Onyx Path and White Wolf systems. You can see the dice pools, D10s, all that works. But then there's a simplicity, in my opinion, to it that you know you only have to get one success, and then that unlocks everything uh, in the system. You get enhancements, you get access to powers, you get access to your skills, whatever you're trying to do. It's just a uh, it's a game that rewards playing. With it. It's a fail-forward system, which I'm becoming uh, very enamored with as I become older and crustier in my gaming habits. I love <laughs> I love these ideas we've got now that it's not, and, and I admit I was a, a, the type of game master or storyteller who would put those uh, stupid roles in players' way of, you know, if you want to find that clue, make this role. And then when you failed, I was stuck there going, oh, what do I do now? I assumed they would get that and then we'd have to move forward with the story. So I love now that systems are building that in to say, okay, you didn't quite get there, but you're failing forward. You're actually still going to find something. And if that clue, if that uh, encounter or whatever is vital, then it just happens. You just do it because why would you want to stop your story? Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I posted about this on Facebook and Twitter recently, but I had the honor and pleasure of being able to play D and D for the first time in years. Technically, a second edition D and D game. Oh wow! Uh, the Ed Greenwood ran for me and some others. It's going to be on Red Moon Role Playing, and uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to or play with Ed. Name drop, you know, he created the Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. but the it really reminded me of how I used to run games, and not necessarily in a bad way, because it had the typical, you're all teleported to a low level of a dungeon, you're in a room surrounded by doors with different symbols on, and one of the players, uh, Craig, was very much immediately into the idea of, okay, I'm going to get a grappling hook, wrap it around the door handle, stand at a distance, pull it open in case something goes off in my face. Or something <laughs> like that. And I was... I was both in character and out of character incredulous. My bombastic cleric of Tempest was saying, what are you, afraid of a door? And lots of cobwebs behind the door. We decided to not go in there. Probably a good logical move. And so I then just strode up to another door and yanked it open to say, you know, I am not afraid of anything like this and got a face full of crossbow bolts because <laughs> I I have completely fallen out of that trend you're in when you play almost nothing but D&D where it's a lot of checking for traps, yes. a lot of puzzle rooms, a lot of rooms with a monster in that can only be defeated in a certain way. And uh, the game was fantastic, don't get me wrong, and incredibly nostalgic for me because I so rarely get to visit the Forgotten Realms these days, but it was a real reminder of 
it's it's not a system in opposition to story path but it is like you say i think the way a lot of dms will run uh, a puzzle room in a dungeon where if you can't solve the puzzle well you're stuck you're going to have to backtrack find another way uh, whereas story path rewards you for failing these things by yes. essentially adding complications by uh, by giving you momentum so it yeah, rewards the narrative with complications and rewards the players with momentum for essentially screwing up. Uh, but that means later on they can do something heroic uh, with any luck if they roll well. Uh, so yeah, I, I can see exactly what you mean. Uh, out of interest, so yes. to go back to Australia for uh, a second. Yes, mate. Uh, what is, uh, I guess, what's the gaming culture in Australia? Because I, I notice the types of games that are played in the UK are quite often different to the types of games played in the US, or at least gaming groups that regularly play have certain preferences uh, and play in certain styles a little mm-hmm. differently. Uh, is there a trend that you've picked up on, knowing that Australia is a massive country, very spread apart? Yes, I think uh, that that's a good caveat to put on there. Um, my uh, my exposure at the moment, being a you know a, a gamer who grew up in the '90s, so you can kind of guess around my age there. Um, so I'm now the parent gamer who is desperate to find time to game uh, and can't just can't just game all weekend like I did in my teens and early twenties. Um, but what I've what I've seen is the gaming situation in Australia. It's moving. A lot towards board games, which I think are surging in popularity around the world, especially uh, cooperative board games, uh, collaborative board games, you know, not not the monopolies of the world where you're desperately trying to bankrupt each other, but uh, the pandemics of the world where people are having to work together to... Um, uh, to accomplish their goal, I see that they're growing in popularity. But on the role-playing front, um, I think D&D has uh, had quite a lot of popularity uh, amongst my gamer friends around here, uh, and largely it's because of that poorness of time we have these days that uh, they've kind of settled into old habits and said, well, if we've only got a three-hour window once a, a month, we can quickly throw any character at it, and we can we can play Matthew style, and we can just throw any door open, and we can catch faces full of crossbows, and we don't mind <laughs> because we're just here to have a bit of fun and enjoy it. And um, mm. and unfortunately, they don't seem to have the time to, to play the long campaigns now and uh, invest those week after week and, uh, and get you know, shake the world around you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I certainly feel that I've, I get a lot more gaming in, I imagine, than most uh, new parents. I guess I'm still a new parent. My, my son's only three. Uh, but yeah, I can absolutely understand that feeling of needing to squeeze in as much gaming as possible, especially simple, enjoyable mm-hmm. gaming, uh, rather than anything too heavy or convoluted. I've been trying to run the Horror on the Orient Express campaign for Call of Cthulhu for the last year now, and the characters are still only in Milan. <laughs> and right. they're supposed to get all the way to Constantinople. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I don't know when they're going to get there, but we try and play whenever we can. Yes, uh, I tend to play the uh, Chronicles of Darkness, uh, Aeon, uh, and games like Eclipse Phase more online these days. Um, I'm finding that with the rise of, of digital tabletops and and the ease of being able to connect through the internet, you know, now we, uh, my my friends and I, we can just 
log on to a, a shared server, whatever that is, um, and and just play without having to factor in, you know, 30 minutes to an hour's worth of travel to get there, and then you've got to set up, and then you, yeah, you've already lost a third of your gaming time by the time you arrive, and then yeah. you you spend half the time chatting, which is great, but you know if we can just do that virtually, um, it actually saves time, gives you a bit more gaming, and it records what happened, which we also find as as our gaming needs and tastes change, you spend a lot of time just trying to remember what actually happened last time. Yeah, uh, I'm, I have the benefit of a player who takes prolific notes, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I can completely understand that. So yeah. well, on to on to yes. another gaming <laughs> favorite of yours that I I believe is a favorite of yours, which would be Werewolf the Forsaken. I think I can be guilty as charged on that one. Although you're you have written across both Werewolf lines, I did, and actually Werewolf the Apocalypse is where I started uh, working for Onyx Path uh, back then. Um, Stu Wilson uh, emailed me out of nowhere. Uh, funnily enough. Um, I was just a, a random guy, uh, but had a friend who was working for Onyx Path before it was Onyx Path back then, um, who had been approached. Stu had run the uh, Kickstarter for Changing Breeds 20th Anniversary Edition and was hip deep in development for that. And he suddenly realized he hadn't actually included Australia in the around the world, um, look, look around the world, uh, and went, oh, that's possibly uh, possibly an oversight, although it, it yeah. does fit in very well with, with the traditional um, uh, World of Darkness games, who I used to crack open all those books trying to find any mention of Australia, and often it was forgotten. Uh, so I thought that was just part of the 20th anniversary. Let's let's have an anniversary of how we always forget the countries in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, yeah. But no, to his credit, um, he contacted my friend who was not a werewolf uh, fan who said, hang on, I've got this other mate who loves it. How about I put you in contact with him? Uh, so that is where it all started. I wrote uh, a few thousand words about Australia for, for changing breeds. Um, and then Stu just kept piling things onto my plate. And I, I haven't looked back. And it's been wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, do you have a preference between Apocalypse and Forsaken? I must admit, these days, I love Forsaken more. Um, I did love Apocalypse when I was younger, and I'm looking forward to uh, Werewolf 5th Edition to see what what comes out of that. But um, but Forsaken these days just scratches the itch a little more. Um, and possibly it's because I get to work with such wonderful people. I get to see uh, some of the, the creativity and the body horror that comes out. And, and I think... It, it's fair to say that um, working with Chris Allen, he's one of my favourite writers to work with uh, in partnership on a lot of the werewolf books. Uh, I find we have very different approaches and very different styles, but we bounce off each other well. I don't know if he would agree or if he just <laughs> abused me as an irritant. I don't know. Um, but I often throw uh, a lot of crazy ideas out there and he just drags me back. He's like, yeah, no, like that's, that's a bit stupid. And I'm like, oh, okay, but second iteration will be a little closer to what I want. And then third iteration, I'm very much have a, a talk out loud ideas kind of person until I shape it to what I want. Yeah. And well, I've, I've obviously seen you and Chris working fantastically together. Uh, not least on shun by the moon, uh, which Very I don't know if shun by the Yeah. I, I am incredibly pleased with how that came out and that's all credit to you and Chris well, and the other writers, but, uh, the, the people that really shepherded it through to its, uh, completed polished state were yourself and Chris Allen. So thank, thank you. you very much for that. 
Um, and I don't know, I was always very keen on there being a massive, comprehensive bestiary for Well for Forsaken because I felt like of all the Chronicles of Darkness games, it was it's the game where you hunt. It yes. is uh, it's all about the hunt. And to have lots of creatures to hunt or that might hunt you uh, seemed like a no-brainer. So when we uh, got to do it, and that yeah, that book has... It definitely has more antagonistic characters in than any other Night Horrors book. I'm pretty confident. I believe uh, you're, you're right. And I think we were quite uh, sneaky with a lot of those antagonists because if you feel like it, you can turn them into protagonists, but they're, they're certainly not going to be the friendly types of protagonists. But uh, you could play Pure. You could play a bale hound trying to drag the world to hell. Uh, Chris wrote a fantastic bunch of twisted um maniacal ghost wolf variations that uh, mm-hmm. that a lot of uh, fans i see on the forums love and just uh, gravitate to so there are a heck of a lot of things you can you can just run with yeah i think the so the bale hounds were a favorite of mine uh i gosh there's not much of that book that i can think I dislike, but the thing that I was, one of the things I was fondest of was, and I'm not just saying it because you're here, Leith, uh, was the essay that I asked you to write for the end of the book. Oh, good. Uh, the, Thank you. The, the, essentially, the how to play Werewolf the Forsaken. You know, how do you build a chronicle around some of these characters and concepts? Um, so, again, like with Aeon, but I guess less about the setting of Forsaken. Um, if there's a bite-sized way of expressing it, how would you advise anyone listening gets into Wealth of Forsaken? Where would they start a chronicle? Uh, if I was going to start a chronicle, you know, straight out, not knowing the depth of lore about Forsaken, I'd make it very much a monster of the week to start with, uh, which I think is the classic chronicle. Your pack of characters looking out for themselves um, and just they've got their territory and they need to police that. They need to figure out how to keep their territory ticking along in the best possible way. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean keeping all spirits out because they might have a great you know, sideline working with certain spirits coming across. It doesn't necessarily mean keeping everything out, but it means identifying for those characters what they don't want in their territory and keeping that out. And that's where the wolf must hunt, and that's where they, they head out on those hunts. So I think that's the best place to start it helps the characters get to know one another. It helps the players get to uh, enjoy the power that comes from being a nine foot tall murder machine. Um, and yeah, you've got to uh, you've got to understand when you're you're playing werewolf that you are not just the the classic blue book mortal who is going to freak out at every supernatural thing uh, and is going to probably be killed by a lot of those supernatural things. Uh, but you are one of the scariest things in the night. And once you have your pack around you, there's little that you can't take on. So that's what we had to work against when we were designing Shun by the Moon to make sure that the things that were in that book, the things that were the antagonists, they were able to really make these monsters who prey on just about everything else uh, sit back and go, oh, okay, we're not the strongest thing out here and we need to come up with a better plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have a favourite antagonist then that's in uh, Shun by the Moon? So, uh, and it can be something you've written or something someone else has? Uh, 
something I've written, uh, let, me, let me talk conceptually. My favorite antagonist there uh, are the Gerio. Um, I loved coming up with kind of the concept of what they were and how they, they worked. Uh, and then uh, the various characters that uh, other writers wrote uh, using that that kind of system, that kind of that framework was wonderful. But I, I have to agree with you as well. If, if I'm going to go for my other favourite was the Bailhounds. Um, and interestingly enough, um, and I'll, I'll cop to this, I didn't understand the Bailhounds um, very well before I wrote them in that book. Like I, I, I had a sense of what they were and I was very interested in them, but they were just one of those antagonists that they hadn't clicked for me why you would want them. So I knew the, yeah. I knew the how of them. I didn't know the why of them. And I went to the forums and I, I, I said to the, the Forsaken fans, explain it to me. Tell me why you want Bailhounds because I get that they're scary. I get that they want to drag the world down, but I don't see why that's interesting. And they, the, the fans educated me and it was amazing. Like the way they described it, it just clicked for me. And I think I threw together about 5,000 words in a night. Like most of that Bailhound uh, first draft just came out in one night. And then I spent, you know, the rest of the time tinkering it and fixing it and sending it off to you and Chris and saying, okay, what, what doesn't work here? What have I missed? Mm. So this is one of those moments where everything gelled. Well, we've got some time left. So uh, is there any particular project that's memorable to you, something that you've worked on that uh, you might feel you've got an anecdote about, or just something that was a real pleasure to, to work on? Ah, okay, you put me on the spot here, and we've already covered a lot of my, my guilty pleasures. Um, I enjoyed, gosh, Mummy the, Mummy the Curse, second edition, um, Good choice. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that, throw that one out, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe get some more work out of this. Uh, but I, it was memorable for a couple of reasons. And the first being uh, that, you know, wonderfully you'd approached me to, to join the, the writing crew for that book. And then due to a an unfortunate miscommunication that I misunderstood what you were saying, I withdrew <laughs> myself from the book because I thought I had a scheduling conflict and I had completely balls it up and didn't understand what you meant and discovered that, no, actually, I'd just written myself off a book that uh, I had plenty of time to do. Uh, but thankfully, you were good enough to give me a second chance and, and uh, throw <laughs> some more some more bones my way and say, hey, would you like to would you like to come in and just uh, pick up a pick up a city and pick up some uh, some story hooks? And um, and once I got there, I, I joined that project the second time and a wonderful time that most of the first drafts were already starting to come in. So I was able to read what other writers had come up with, how they were shaping the second edition world. And I mm. built from there. And I would like to like to say, you know, with a little bit of ego behind me, I would like to say that the, the story hooks I threw in there and the, and the city that I wrote there really tagged into what they already had and made it pop. So I was really proud of that as well. And it was a fun, fun time, especially after I stopped kicking myself for, for getting off the project, which I didn't kind of mean to do. <laughs> No, uh, I remember that, and it, developing Mummy was, I think we had fewer writers drop off that project than most, and that makes it sound like we're always losing writers, but I, on average, I say on a big book, we generally lose around two writers per project, mm -hmm. um, just because of the vagaries of life demands and things like that more than anything more insidious. 
But uh, yeah, it was excellent to be able to get you back because I enjoyed working with you on Whale of the Forsaken so much. Oh, um, I'm so much fun. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A laugh a minute. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we really explored some peculiar story hooks for Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition, didn't we? We did, uh, and that's the timeless angle, I think. I know it's not for everyone, and it's easy if it's not for for any listeners out there that they just want a, a straightforward, you know, one day follows the next chronicle, go for, it, go for that. that. That's absolutely playable. But if you want the fun and the weirdness of waking up in 2020 and then suddenly waking up in 1640, you can do that. Uh, mm. And then you can say, okay, I've got knowledge that's um, 400 years out of, you know, ahead of its time. What can I do with that? <laughs> how, how do I yeah. actually get my, my cultists to understand this in a way that is going to help them make money or is going to help secure my power for when I wake up at another time? I love that. Exactly. No, no, I'm a big fan of that as well. Uh, I mean, that's uh, the concept on which second edition kind of hangs its hat. And um, but as you say, if if it's not for the average listener, if they would rather play a, a first edition style linear chronologically uh, Mummy the Curse game, that is perfectly within the realms of possibility using the second edition book. Uh, but if you prefer the time jumping, there are story hooks that put you on Mars in the far mm -hmm. future. In the core book, and uh, there's your the lovely Dark Eras books, Dark Eras, Dark Eras yes. Companion, Dark Eras Two, which as of time of recording is probably going to be on back kit for much like they came from beneath the sea, a very short amount of time because Dark Eras Two has gone out to backers now in PDF. Uh, but yeah, those books are almost tailor made for Mummy the Curse Chronicles now they because are. you'll be bopping your way through history. Definitely, and I I do love uh, the. Dark Eras books, the the eras we've got in there, and I've I've had the pleasure of writing uh, a couple, one or two of those. Um, but I I just find them a, an enjoyable read, uh, even if you're not planning on playing a particular era. <laughs> There's usually enough uh, you know, pseudo history in there to just amuse and delight and give you story hooks for, okay, how can I use this in the future? How can I steal that little bit of hook and then just transport that back into modern times if that's the, the chronicle I'm playing? It's, it, they're wonderful. Yeah, uh, no, I'm a big fan of them. And as you say, just to read through them. Well, until now, there were eras in Dark Eras and Dark Eras Companion that I would just read and think, Ah, well, that would be nice, but I'm unlikely to run Geist the Sin Eaters anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And that's just a limit of my imagination. There was never anything stopping me putting a Vampire the Requiem Chronicle in a Geist era, but now it just feels even more accessible with Mummy, at least to my uh, my fragile and simple mind. <laughs> no, I'm on board <laughs> with that as well. And I think uh, I, I, I wrote on... Um, Forsaken by Rome. So again, going back to Werewolf the Forsaken Dark Eras in the in the Roman era, uh, as they're moving into Germa uh, Germanic territories, um, I would love to just have a, uh, a mummy wake up there and try and figure out what's going on. Um, and that, that's so uh, much is familiar, that's a, but not. Yeah, that's an era that uh, I've I was checking the forum and someone's posted a what are your top five dark eras. In oh, I haven't seen so that far. Right? And uh, Forsaken by Rome appears at least a couple of times, so it's uh, that it's a it's a popular one. So Lovely. Did I scrub my, you. 
Did I scrub my name off off all those posts if it didn't look like I was writing for myself? <laughs> all your multiple accounts, yeah. No, uh, no, no okay, I do appreciate. So, uh, Sorry, so that's all right. We're close to wrapping up. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, or otherwise sing the praises of? Uh, look, the breadth of quality of work we've got out there. We have wonderful writers working for Onyx Path. Um, I can't think of a, a line I wouldn't wholeheartedly endorse, but you know, I'm going to go back to my roots. And I'm going to say, if you've got an interest in Werewolf for the Forsaken, and get out there and buy our books, I would love us to be writing more books. So, you know, buy them. And that's the surest way that we're going to be allowed to, to write more. Uh, but my heart right now is also in Trinity Continuum Aeon. So uh, if you're interested in the Trinity Continuum, buy as much as you can uh, for that because I want to keep writing Aeon for as long as they will let me. That's, I think that's a good message. And if anyone wants to find you, follow you, or otherwise support you online, if you have anything like this, do you have a website, Twitter, or similar? Uh, no website, but on Twitter I'm at JustLeath, J-U-S-T-L-E-A-T-H, um, that's probably the best place to find me. That's uh, where I'll stick my musings, but I do warn people I'm mostly just to follow along because I, I tend to think that I don't have anything new and unique to say online a lot of the time because people say it better. <laughs> and usually I've got my head down trying desperately not to procrastinate while I'm writing the, the latest book. Well, good for you. You do better than I do then. <laughs> thank uh, you, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming along, Leith. It's been a pleasure. Crikey, mate, it has been wonderful. Thank you. Cobber, whatever else I can think of. Shrimp on the barbie. That's it, Cobber. I have not heard Cobber <laughs> since Crocodile Dundee 2, I think. Truth. Yes. <laughs> Truth <Struth> loo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Leith. Thank you, Matthew. And that is the interview concluded. What? Oh, welcome Ooh, back, everyone. I just flew by. Yeah. <laughs> No time passed at all. Yeah. Are we always going to make uh, that joke? Okay. Yes. Uh, I am sure there is a listener who laughs, and that listener is a big is fan me. of Reboot. <laughs> Hi, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if that person was uh, listening? or Unless it did traumatize him, unless he did think, this is the worst Christmas ever. If I ever find the boy that recommended this book, I'm going to fucking deck him. Because that's what they used to say in, in, in my part of the world. I'll deck you. I'll deck you or I'll knock your block off, was the, uh, the common threat in the playground. I think that was outdated by the time I got to school. Like, decking somebody sounds very 1950s, 1960s to me. Well, we're a bit backwards in the UK, unlike you advanced Americans. <laughs> yes, words are different. Slang changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Lee's was a lot of fun to listen to. I'm sure he was, Eddie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying so hard to bring us back on track. Trying so hard. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do the usual test. So, what did you enjoy about the interview? Because it's all been this has all been recorded in the same 24 hours. Listeners, the usual peek behind the curtain. My co-hosts don't know what was discussed, but I can assure them it was a very enjoyable interview, and I always enjoy speaking to Leith. And see, for me, it's going to be cool to listen to this, uh, just because I have not heard Leith's voice, I don't believe. So, Neither I. I, uh, I always like kind of getting to know our freelancers a little bit more personally. Well, he trained me a little in Australian accents near the start of the interview, so I'm sure you'll enjoy that, and listeners okay. already have. 
uh, because I said good day as opposed to good day. And uh, now I know. <laughs> now you know. That, that's it. Now I know. Knowing is not just half the battle, but the whole battle. No, red, red lasers and blue lasers are also part of the battle. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's half knowing and then 25% red lasers and 25% blue lasers. And that's the entire battle. Right. So, Get your math straight. <laughs> can I give you a bit of a horror movie scenario right now? Sure. Okay. So on the other side of the road to where I am right now, looking out my study oh, no. window, there Are is... there two trucks? No. <laughs> and they're looking at me menacingly. Uh, there's a block of flats, not terribly high, about three or four stories. And mm-hmm. directly opposite from my window that I'm looking at right now is a sort of floor to near ceiling uh, window. And there's a man stood in it, and he is staring right at me while I'm staring right at him. <laughs> and I'm, I'm unprepared to lose this game of chicken. He has just stood there... <laughs> In what I think are his pajamas, and yeah, he's just looking directly at me from around, I guess, fifty, seventy yards away. Oh, yeah. Does he have a reboot book in his hand? <laughs> he, he keeps pointing at it and then drawing a line across his throat. I don't know what that means. Uh, some kind of sign language, Eddie. Maybe you can help. Um, I saw your recent discussions on the subject on Twitter. Um, yeah, so... Oh, no, he has gone away now. So I win. I win! Are you... I gain an experience point. I've I've been in situations like that where then I, I, I later realized that somebody couldn't even see me because of the, the glare on the window. And I was like, oh, they didn't even know I was there. Like, I was just being weird. <laughs> but you still won. I mean, that's, that's yeah, all that matters. Yeah. Oh. Or that guy is it coming is. over to your house now to murder you with his reboot book. <laughs> That's true. With the book. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be very painful. <laughs> They're going to find Matthew having choked to death on just pages from the reboot Choose Your Own Adventure <laughs> anthology. <laughs> and uh, uh. if Horatio Kane was the person that discovered me, he would pull one of the leaves of paper from my mouth and he'd say, Looks like he turned to paragraph one two five because, of course, on that it would say your adventure ends here. It doesn't really work without the visual, but then, of course, yeah. we'd get Horatio yeah. doing the sunglasses thing and a wow, a down. Who are you? Nobody help him. Just, so- just, just let him go. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get over it. He'll work through it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well that was uh, that was an interview. Uh, what are the two of you getting up to for the rest of today or the week? Are you going to be playing any games? Uh, you know, on the Switch. I, I've not spoken to you recently, but you've bought anything new. I actually got something. Um, well, my roommate got it, but I'm using it um, for the Switch called Ring Fit Adventure. Um, it's an exercise game, actually. So it comes with a. a plastic hoop with with handles on it and a, a thing you strap on the controllers to your leg and so you actually like have to do squats and presses and stuff to defeat a giant bodybuilding dragon oh that that is surprisingly fun yeah it sounds almost like the uh super dragon tensai dining <laughs> extravaganza experience ultima 2 you should sue them yes yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> What have you been playing of late on the Switch, Dixie? Nothing. 
Nothing. Uh, no, I haven't played the Switch recently. I've been playing uh, Fallout 4 on the computer. Ah, I've still not played Fallout It's 4. really good. Are you more into the base building or the venturing around the world? Uh, the venturing. The, the, the only mod I have on the game, because I've, I've installed one mod, is one that auto-builds my bases for me, because I do not like that part <laughs> of the game. Wow. Um, because if I want to play The Sims, I'd rather play The Sims. Like, if I want to build houses yeah. and do construction and stuff. And also, like, if there, there are some people who have made these super cool, like, skyscrapers and castles and stuff and go them. But I'm just not, that's that's not why I'm playing this game. I'm playing it for the stories. Um, mm. And spending mm-hmm. several hours constructing bases is just not part of the story for me. It's not fun. And then, and then of course, like, once you have, like, 20 of them and you got to check on them all the time and everything. So instead, I have a mod where I build a desk, and then from the desk, I say, auto-build city, and I put one of my followers in, in charge, in, in, in air quotes, but like I set a follower yeah. as the leader of that city, and they just do shit while I'm not there. It's great. Hmm. I can just leave, and then I come <laughs> back, and it's, it's, it's changed significantly while I was gone, and I'm like, oh, cool, they built some new stuff. Um, and they also pay me taxes. As oh, part nice. of the city builder, whatever that mod is called. So, yeah, no, I... Uh, I definitely been playing some of the DLC that I didn't play the first time I played the game because it was on sale recently for the Steam Lunar New Year sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been playing oh, Far yeah. Harbor, which is a new island that you can go to that has all kinds of cool stuff on it. But even just the base unmodded game is really fun. Like I highly recommend it, Matthew. I'm not sure, you know, what you like what you have you could play it on. I don't know what your console situation is. I've got a PS4. Uh, I think it's available yeah. on that. So yeah, it's super fun. And then uh a couple weekends ago, I was playing. I was I was doing a fresh replay of Fable Three at uh, my boyfriend's place oh, because he wanted game. to play the Switch, and I was like, "Well, you get to play it handheld then, because I'm going to play the Xbox." <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. Uh, so well, you still have the original Xbox disc? For no, 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 no. I have an Xbox One, but it's one of the things you can download as like a backwards compatible game. Mm. Um, uh, I think okay. I do actually still have the disc somewhere, but I don't have a 360 anymore. Uh, but I, mm. I paid $10 or something to have it again. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. I've heard that the plan, and it may have changed, for the PS5 is that it's going to be completely backwards compatible across all previous PlayStation engines. At the very least, that was the intention. I really wish um, that like any system would do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a nice idea. Uh, the thing is, I know that the CD-ROM technology on the PS1 or PSX, as it's known over here, uh, was well. It changed partway through the PlayStation development because some of the PlayStation discs are black, some of them are silver, and apparently there was some uh, on the PS2 when that was backwards compatible. You couldn't play the black discs; you could only play the silver right. ones. Uh, right. But that's all getting into hardware that I'm with. I was at a games convention. Uh, uh, oh? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? People were playing our games and they were loving them. I really wow. should have led, I should have opened this episode with that. That was, a, that was like a hard left turn, too. I was just like, I was like, it's like, it's like when you're talking to a, to a toddler. And they're telling you like a long involved story, and then all of a sudden they're like, "I like fish," and you're like, "Okay." <laughs> what well, what just right. happened here? I, I live in a very restricted environment <laughs> with a toddler, and uh, <laughs> uh, one of us is teaching the other. Um, 
<laughs> so yeah, so but then I broke free from my prison and went to uh, this gaming convention. And uh, contingency in Norfolk runs every January. And uh, yeah, the a number of people who were playing games like Scion. Uh, there was a bit of Trinity in play, uh, Chronicles of Darkness as well, and some V5 pickup games. Nice. But uh, lots of enthusiasm there for They Came From Beneath the Sea, which I ran some of. And uh, and even I gave a bit of a play around with They Came From Beyond the Grave with the uh, drafts that we already have in, uh, and also just some ideas of my own, just to see whether people liked the idea, the sort of conceit of the time hopping. And yeah, really all went down very well. But other than that, I got a chance to play uh, none of our games, uh, but <laughs> I did get to play Colts Divinity Lost, a three-parter cool. across two days. Okay. Uh, so that was grim, set in Weimar, Germany. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever felt so satisfied yet, uh, I guess, hollowed out by a game as I did from that. Even from all my games of Wraith, I I had this real oh, <laughs> feeling <laughs> once that campaign ended. I played some Wuja, which is a Chinese martial arts RPG, very light-hearted, excellent game, probably my highlight of the convention as a player. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, I played some board games as well. So it was a very busy con, but a lot of fun. Got to meet up with some old friends, and yeah... Uh, can't recommend it enough if you're in the UK and listening, or even in Europe. Uh, it's it's relatively small, but it's a convention all about gaming. Uh, it's not a big supermarket. So if that's the kind of thing that interests you, do check out Contingency next year. Cool. Sounds like fun. People should go hang out with Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that said, I think we should wrap up. Dixie. If people want to find you online, where should they go? Find me at DixieCochran.com or DixieCyanide on pretty much all social media. What about you, Eddie? Um, you can find me at uh, PugSteady.com, and from there you can get access to all my social media accounts. And they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com as ClackClickBang on Twitter, and the Gentleman Gamer anywhere, really. So, <laughs> with that said... Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I am everywhere. And nowhere. Many worlds. One park.